Good morning. I don't know if you, uh, obviously we didn't hear the welcome on the video, but uh, I'll give you a welcome myself. Uh, Before we start, I'm glad to be able to announce that next week we are restarting Sunday school during the morning service, and that service will also include the Lord's Supper. It's the first Sunday in the month. And next Sunday as well, our evening service will also be restarting at 6 p.m. So if you're watching from home today, I would encourage you to come back in September to get involved again. We are doing our very best to go about things safely, but life, as we know, is never 100% safe. It wasn't 100% safe before COVID, but we all came together back then anyway, and we joined in church life together. So let's take courage as the summer comes to an end and come back. And let's remember too that our calling as Christians has not changed at all. We're still called to meet together, to encourage one another, and to participate together in witnessing to the saving power of Jesus Christ. That's our calling as God's people. Now, of course, if you do all come back, we'd have to move to two morning services. That would be to fit everyone in under the current arrangements that we're following. But we would be very happy to do that. What we ask is that if you plan to come and you haven't already come back yet, then just let us know in advance, preferably early in the week. And if we go to two morning services, we'll give you clear details about that ahead of time. Otherwise, you can all assume that we're meeting at 10.45 as normal next week. Just one more thing to mention is with regard to this morning, at the end, we're leaving through this side door. But just be aware that cars will be leaving. So if you're chatting to someone and you step outside the door, just step further away from the door if you're uh, talking to someone in the car park at the end. That's all I need to mention by way of introduction. So we're going to begin our time of worship by praising God together with the words of Psalm 145. There will be four slides on the screen behind me for this. Two of the slides will say leader at the beginning. I'll say those ones. And then if you could join me, please, on the other two slides that say all. So let's stand together to praise God in these words, and I'll uh, lead us off with the first slide on the screen. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all, He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. As you're seated, the musicians will lead us in crown him with many crowns.
pray. Heavenly Father, when we come to you, we remember that you are the almighty king of the universe, the one who rules perfectly, who wrote the book of history, and who holds our lives in his hands. We praise you because you are completely good, completely holy, and Father, you are in control of all things. And Lord, we confess that in difficult times, in tumultuous times where things are not as we're used to them being, that we often forget that you are such a great and mighty God. We ask that you would forgive us, Lord, for, for not turning to you when we should, for forgetting that you are completely sovereign and for not trusting in you as we ought to. We thank you that through Jesus we can still come to you. We come as your people, as your children, been bought by his precious blood. Father, we thank you for your grace, grace that is new every morning. Lord, we thank you that we can meet together again. We praise you because you have brought those of us who can make it together. We can come and we can listen to your word. We can meet with one another. And we just thank you for your goodness in that. But Lord, we recommend or we remember those who, who are not here and who cannot make it. Father, we pray for those who are stuck in, in nursing homes and those who are unable to come because of their ill health. Father, you know them and you love them, and we bring them to you and remember them now. Lord, we also bring our nation to you, Lord, as everything changes and as there are so many uncertainties, we see people grasping everywhere for, for meaning and for security, and yet, Lord, we know that outside of you there is no security, and we just pray that you would use even these difficult times to uh, save people. Lord, would you use this to call a nation to yourself? And Father, as we come and we listen to you now, we pray that you would bless Tim's preparation, that you would speak to us through your word. We thank you for the promise that your word will not return to you empty. We thank you that we have the gift of your spirit to understand. And we ask for your help now and in the week ahead to apply everything that you teach us today. Lord, we praise you because you love us so very much. Amen. We're going to continue to read from Psalm 145, a psalm dedicated to God's praise. Again, uh, the words will be on the screen of the second part of the psalm. And again, uh, I'll say the slides that begin with the word leader, and then please join me when it says all. So let's stand as we continue to praise God. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all he does and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord, let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. The New Testament tells us our God and Father in heaven has given his Son Jesus the name that is above every name. So as we praise God, we praise in Jesus' name. And our next song reminds us to those of us you're trusting in Jesus, his name is sweet.
should have mentioned earlier, there are some uh, worksheets at the back for those of you who would normally be in Sunday school. If you haven't picked one of those up on the way in, they might be helpful uh, during the sermon just on the table by the door there. Last week, we looked at Judges chapter 4, and that chapter told us about a great victory for the Israelites against their Canaanite oppressors. The Israelite general, whose name was Barak, he was spurred on by the prophet Deborah, and he defeated the army of King Jabin, the Canaanite, which was led by General Sisera. But the decisive blow in that battle did not come from Barak or for any, from any of his soldiers. The decisive blow came from a lady called Jael, who literally nailed Sisera to the ground in her tent. Chapter 4 gave us the details of that victory. And now as we turn this morning to chapter 5, what we find is a celebration of that same victory we heard about in chapter 4. Judges 5 is a victory song. And what we'll find is this victory song helps us to think not just about the battle against Sisera, but about every battle we face as God's people. So let's read this passage together. Judges chapter 5. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook. The heavens poured. The clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord. The one of Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose, a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates. But not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the victories of the Lord, the victories of His villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. Wake up! Wake up, Deborah! Wake up! Wake up! Break out in song! Arise, Barak! Take captive your captives, son of Abinuam. The remnant of the nobles came down. The people of the Lord came down to me against the mighty. Some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Machir, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, sent under his command into the valley. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the terraced fields. Kings came, they fought. The kings of Canaan fought at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They took no plunder or silver. From the heavens, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. That age-old river, the river Kishon. March on, my soul, be strong. 
Then thunder the horse's hooves, galloping, galloping go his mighty steeds. Curse Meroz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord. To help the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Through the window peered Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice, she cried out, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answer her. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, Are they not finding and dividing the spoils? A woman or two for each man. Colorful garments as plunder for Sisera. Colorful garments embroidered. Highly embroidered garments for my neck. All this as plunder. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord. But may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace for 40 years. This is God's word. And it has a double-barreled message for us and also a challenge First, this song tells us the battle always belongs to the Lord. And then comes the challenge in the middle of the passage, will you fight on the Lord's side? And finally, we discover that it matters greatly which side you're on. So first, the battle always belongs to the Lord. Verse 1 says, on that day... Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. In other words, what we're about to hear in this song is the outpouring of Deborah and Barak's joy and relief and praise after the great victory described in chapter 4. Chapter 4 gave the historical details of the victory, and chapter 5 is the emotional response to that same victory. And at the same time, the song also teaches Israel, and it teaches us how to think about the Lord's victory. Just like the songs we sing in church are meant to both engage our emotions and teach us the truth at the same time. And the first truth here is that the battle always belongs to the Lord. You can see that right away in verse 2. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. It was great when Deborah called Barak to lead Israel's army. It was wonderful when Barak accepted that call. It was tremendous when 10,000 troops joined Barak. And the praise for all of that belongs to the Lord. It was the Lord who prompted that commitment from all those people. It was the Lord who filled them with courage and willingness to go to the fight instead of running away from it. Sometimes you and I can become quite impressed with ourselves because we've shown ourselves willing to make some sacrifice for the Lord's cause maybe. Or we've shown some level of commitment to serve the Lord. But before we ever congratulate ourselves, let's stop and realize whatever drive and eagerness there might be in us, it's actually a gracious gift from God. He's to be praised when one of his people steps forward and takes the lead. He's to be praised when his people as a whole willingly offer themselves 
That's why in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says to the Colossians, I thank God because I've heard about your faith in Jesus and your love for God's people. Why would Paul thank God for the Colossians' faith and love? He thanks God because those traits in them were gifts from God to the Colossians. That's also why when Paul talks about a financial gift the Macedonian Christians gave to the Christians in Jerusalem, Paul says that determination to be generous was a grace God gave to the Macedonian Christians. And so their generosity was a reason to praise God. And back here in the era of the judges, when the normally weak and watery Israelites produce a warrior like Barak, and when thousands of Israelite troops rally behind him, it's one more reason to praise the Lord. He has put that commitment in their hearts. And when a battle has been won, whether it's a victory over the Canaanites or a victory in our own hearts over unbelief or greed or lovelessness, whenever a victory is won, the credit for that victory will always belong not to us, but to the Lord. The battle belongs to Him always. Here in verses 4 and 5, Deborah and Barak in their song point to several past victories of the Lord, particularly his victory at the exodus from Egypt. The God who can draw commitment from human hearts, we're told, can also draw rain from the sky and earthquakes from the ground. He did that in the events of the exodus that ended up with Israel meeting God at Mount Sinai. When there's a battle to be fought, whether it's against flesh and blood enemies like Sisera and his troops, or whether it's against sin in our heart. Everything, literally everything, is available to God. Everything is at God's disposal. Every part of creation, every part of your own character and personality. God can bring it into his service to win the battle his way. In verses 6 to 9, the focus moves from those past victories to the victory that's just been won. And verse 7 says, the Israelites initially had no stomach for the battle. Actually, we saw that in chapter 4. The Israelites were oppressed for 20 years by Jabin and by his general Sisera. 20 years before they cried out to the Lord for help. Verse 7 says, they would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Deborah came to the fore, called by God, and the people rallied to her. Then they rallied to Barak as their general. And who deserves the praise for that? For giving reluctant Israelites, inspiring leaders they were willing to follow? The end of verse 9 says it's the Lord who deserves the praise. And so in verse 10, the song says, You who ride on white donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the victories of the Lord, the victories of his villagers in Israel. So you who have the resources to ride on a donkey with a nice saddle blanket, and then you ordinary people who have to walk from A to B. The song says, all of you listen when the Lord's people celebrate. Listen, and you'll notice. Even when they have strapped on their swords and won great victories, what they're really celebrating are the victories of the Lord. And it's the same for us. Every time a battle is won, every enemy that's overthrown, every sin that's put to death in our lives, it's a reason for you and me to praise the Lord. 
They are his victories. And that emphasis in the first part of the song might cause us to scratch our heads at the challenge we find in the next part of the song. Will you fight on the Lord's side? This section is both a rebuke of those who didn't join Barak, and it's a commendation of those who did join him. The end of verse 11 takes us back before the battle with Sisera. The people of the Lord gather, we're told. But we're also told that not everyone in Israel comes. That's a new insight we weren't given in chapter 4. In chapter 4, we heard about the troops from Naphtali and Zebulun who went with Barak. But apparently, there was an initial call that went out to all the tribes of Israel, not just those two tribes. And this part of the song seems to be sung now by Barak. And he says in verse 14, some came to me from Ephraim, and some came from Benjamin, and from Machir. That's a reference to the tribe of Manasseh. Some captains came to me from Manasseh, and some came from Zebulun. Verse 15 says, the princes of Issachar came. They joined Deborah and Barak. But in the tribe of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. In other words, they discussed the matter thoroughly. They weighed up the pros and cons. They noted how mighty the enemy was. They measured how far away the battle was. Reuben's territory was in southern Israel. The battle was in the north. The Reubenites considered the situation from every angle, and they decided in the end they were going to stay at home. Tending their sheep, was more important to the Reubenites. More important than joining with God's people in the battle against their oppressors. And the Reubenites weren't the only ones who decided to stay at home. Verse 17 says, Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. That's the tribe of Gad. Crossing the river Jordan was too much hassle for them. We don't know what connection the tribe of Dan had with ships. But whatever it was, that commitment took priority for them. Priority over joining the battle. And the same is true for the tribe of Asher, we're told. They didn't come. This all sounds very like a story Jesus told in Luke chapter 14. A story about people who had been invited to a great banquet. When the time came for the banquet, the messengers went out and they said, come for everything is now ready. This is the time. But Jesus said, those who'd been invited began to make excuses. One of them said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married so I can't come. It sounds very similar here among the tribes of Israel. Now, of course, they are being invited to a battle instead of a banquet. But the purpose of this battle is freedom. So really, the tribes are being called to fight a battle that will lead to a banquet. The call to God's people is, fight now so you can celebrate victory later. One second. The call to God's people is, fight now so you can celebrate victory later. But despite that call going to all Israel, only a few actually come to the fight. 10,000 out of all Israel. And verse 18 reminds us, it was mostly those of Zebulun and Naphtali who risked their lives. But here's the tragedy of that. 
it really was not a risk at all. Yes, they were called to fight. Yes, the enemy was mighty. But the battle belongs to who? The Lord. Back in chapter 4, the Lord told Barak before the battle, I will deliver Sisera and his troops and his fancy chariots into your hands. I'll lay them on a plate for you, Barak. And when the battle came, we were told, the Lord routed Sisera and his army. For those who were on the Lord's side, it wasn't a true risk at all. No doubt it felt scary and daunting, but in reality, it was a sure thing. No power in heaven or earth can stand against the Lord. No doubt many of the people of Zebulun and Naphtali could have trotted out the same kind of excuses as the people of Reuben or Dan. But they wanted to participate in the Lord's victory. And so they came. I said a few moments ago, the challenge in this section might make us scratch our heads. Because the first part of the song, you remember, called us to praise the Lord. Since even those who come to fight have been given their courage by the Lord. So why is the second part paying tribute to those who can? And telling the rest they should be ashamed of themselves for not coming. Well, the answer is this. The Bible never fails to give God praise for victory. And at the very same time, the Bible calls you and me to willingly participate in the Lord's battles. Not to dig our heels in and pull back. So let's ask ourselves, when the enemy falls, don't we want to be standing on the Lord's side? Don't we want to have some of the dust and the sweat of battle on us when it's all over? What does it say about me? What does it say about us if we refuse to join the battle? If we prioritize other things in our lives? Just like Reuben deciding that watching the sheep was more important than answering the Lord's call. And we can't get out of it by saying, well, if the Lord wants me to be involved, he will give me the desire. Why can't we say that? Because the Bible doesn't allow it. This very same song that begins by praising God for his sovereign control of the battle it goes right on to rebuke those who abandoned their responsibility to join the battle. Yes, God is in control. Yes, he will get the praise for all of it in the end. But that doesn't give you and me any excuses for opting out. Let God untangle all the ins and outs of that. The fact is he calls us to battle and he tells us we're to blame if we don't answer the call. I would say this has never been more relevant for God's people than it is right now. Right now, we all have great excuses for staying home. Literally staying home instead of coming here and joining with God's people. But I'm not just thinking about coming to church on Sundays. We all have great excuses for neglecting our call to be witnesses to the good news about Jesus Christ. We have good excuses for letting our spiritual discipline slip, getting lax in the battle with sin in our lives. Because, as we all say, these are unprecedented times we're going through. So much in our lives has been upended. We have so many excuses for giving up the fight. At least until things settle down and get back to normal. 
So we can tell ourselves, when this whole COVID thing is over, we'll get back into things then. But don't you see this whole COVID thing is a battle in itself? It's the battle to trust the Lord and live for Him in the midst of all this. We can't opt out till it's all over. God calls us to take courage and opt in. Not to leave it to a few to get on with it while we sit back and see if it works. The reason this song in Judges 5 starts with God's control is to take away the excuses of those who don't join the battle. What we've heard about the Lord's power is intended to shame those who wouldn't come and fight on the Lord's side. It might have felt like a risk, but in reality it was no risk at all. And for you and me, of course, it feels like a risk to us to rejoin church life, to contribute where we can, but really it's no risk at all. What can we lose as God's people? Nothing eternal. Nothing of ultimate significance. Our eternal future is safe in the hands of the Lord. There's no risk in following Him. The Apostle Paul went through plenty of physical losses in his life. Losses that came to him because of his commitment to serving the Lord. Paul lost plenty of time sitting in jail because of his service to Christ. But at no point did Paul draw back and opt out of the battle. What he said was, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. And at the end of his life, Paul was able to write to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. So let's never use our present circumstances as an excuse for opting out of our race. And I say that to myself as much as to anyone else. Don't let physical fears or emotional obstacles hinder you from joining the fight. Don't surrender to the comfort of sitting back and being disengaged. Join with us in church life again as we carry on the battle to live faithful and fruitful lives for God's glory. And if there are spiritual commitments and disciplines you've let slide, if there are battles against sin where you've surrendered, get back in the battle. There's an old slogan that says, are you tired? Brace yourself. Have you wearied? Strengthen yourself. Have you forgotten? Remember, the mission is not yet over. Let's take that to heart. And let's take steps in the months and the weeks ahead to rejoin the fight on the Lord's side. The last section of this song tells us it matters greatly which side you're on. If the previous section was a challenge to join the fight on the Lord's side, here we are shown the huge significance of fighting on the Lord's side. Verses 19 to 22 remind us that to fight against the Lord is to have all creation lined up against you. In the case of Sisera, verse 20 says the stars in heaven were against him. That's a way of saying this is much, much more than a skirmish on the ground between two human armies. The Lord's honor and the Lord's people are involved. 
So this is part of a cosmic conflict. And in verse 21, we see the Lord can bend things on earth to do his will. He brings the river Kishon into play so that it floods its banks and bogs Sisera's 900 chariots down in the mud, making them useless. And then we have this remarkable statement in verse 23. Curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Meroz is only mentioned here in the whole of the Old Testament. And commentators assume it was a village in Israel that was near the battle. But actually, in this song, it represents all those in Israel who refused to join the fight. Or as the song puts it, they did not come to help the Lord against the mighty. We might laugh at that. What help does the Lord need against the mighty? Haven't we just seen no one is truly mighty except the Lord? But the point is, the Lord chooses to win his victories through his people. Yes, he has nature in his hand, but he won the victory ultimately through Barak and his armies and through a very unusual lady, who we'll see in a moment. The Lord does not need anyone's help, but he calls us to come and help. That's the way he's chosen to do things. And those who refuse to join the Lord's side ultimately are cursed. While those who answer the call to come and help are blessed. Like Jael in verse 24. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell. There he lay. At her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell. Dead. Maybe after last week, you'd hoped you wouldn't have to face this gory picture again. But here it is one more time in savage slow motion detail. Why? Why force us to focus on something we'd much rather forget about? Well, surely it's to show us, despite all the thousands who entered the battle on both sides, God's people were saved ultimately through the brutal death of just one man. After that, the war was over. The rest was just clearing up the details. The end of chapter 4 told us, in the days after Jael's hammer blow, the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. And this wasn't the only time God won a great victory this way. God did it again about a thousand years after this on a cross. Of course, here, Sisera deserved the hammer blow. It was God's judgment falling on this enemy of God's people. Jesus, on the other hand, did not deserve the brutal death he experienced. But it too was God's judgment falling on Jesus so it wouldn't have to fall on you and me. When Jesus died in the place of sinners, the war was over. Ever since, it's just been a case of clearing up the details. Sin and death were defeated on the cross. When you and I are with Jesus, we have the victory. We still have our own battles to fight, yes. 
But we can fight those battles knowing Jesus has already won the war. Here in our passage, those who join the Lord have victory and they are blessed. The rest face defeat and misery. Verse 28 shifts the scene from Jael's tent to the home of Sisera's mother, who, of course, doesn't know yet what happened in Jael's tent. She's far away from it all. Verse 28 says, Through the window peered Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice she cried out, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? At first, we might feel sorry for this lady. Standing at a window, nervously waiting for her son to come home. But this lady very soon shows her heartlessness. Verse 29. The wisest of her ladies answer her. Indeed, she keeps on saying to herself, are they not finding and devoid, dividing the spoils? A woman or two for each man. Colorful garments as plunder for Sisera. Colorful garments embroidered. Highly embroidered garments for my neck. All this as plunder. No doubt this lady is familiar with what went on when her son won a battle. A woman or two for each man is literally a womb or two for each man. What this lady is doing is she is picturing Sisera and his soldiers raping the captive Israelite women. And then bringing home those same women's best clothes for Sisera's mother to enjoy for herself. Each week, as we've looked at this book, we've reminded ourselves why Israel is in Canaan in the first place. It's to deliver God's judgment on the Canaanites for their great evil. And this is one of the points in the book where we get just a little insight into that evil. Rape and pillage was a way of life for the Canaanites. But that way of life will not go on forever. The enemies of the Lord will face judgment. Here, judgment has come for Sisera and those who stand with him. And ultimately, judgment will come for all those who are not on the Lord's side. As the song closes, verse 31 says, So may all your enemies perish, O Lord. But may all those who love you be like the sun. Which when it rises in its strength. As Deborah and Barak finish their song, they recognize that what they have been through is just a preview of what every human being will face one day. Those who love the Lord will rise in strength. The word love here is much more than just an emotion. It's used elsewhere about marriage. It's about true commitment. The New Testament tells us true commitment to God, true love for God, is shown in trusting and obeying His Son, Jesus. Those who are with the Lord through Jesus will rise like the sun to live with God forever. Everyone else will perish forever as an enemy of God. It matters greatly which side you're on. So if you're not a Christian, please don't decide you're going to stay as you are and see how it turns out. The Bible was written to tell you very clearly how it turns out. Those who are outside of Christ are lost. Their destiny is the same as Sisera and his mother. It's the same as all those who refuse to stand with the Lord in the Old Testament. On the other hand, those who come to Christ join those who loved the Lord in the Old Testament. 
Christ's death on the cross was for them too. And together with them, we will rise like the sun one day. Delivered from our fears, our weakness, and from the last trace of our sin. So if you and I profess to be with Christ, let's not opt out of the battle today. Let's not make excuses for disobedience. Let's trust him and let's be active in living for him. Let's commit to honor and obey him in every situation. And to help us focus on him, we're going to close our time together with another victory song. We haven't used it in church before, but some of you will know it. As the musicians play it, it may uh, come to mind, but it is, I think, a beautiful song that reminds us our God is King forevermore. Don't we want to stand with Him?
now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.